Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, and this is the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. On the show, we talk about managing PCOS using proven strategies, ditching diets for good, and balancing hormones naturally. Let's get to it. of women with PCOS experience insulin resistance. So if you're one of them, you're definitely not alone. Millions of women of all body shapes and sizes experience insulin resistance as a main driver of PCOS symptoms. And this can often occur even if your blood sugar is normal. So a lot of times when we hear about insulin resistance, we immediately think about diabetes. But in fact, most women with insulin resistance and PCOS have normal blood sugar levels. And if you've ever gone to the doctor and they told you there's absolutely nothing wrong with you because your hemoglobin A1C is normal or your fasting blood sugar is normal, that's absolutely not true. You can absolutely still be insulin resistant The reason that this happens is that your body's main priority or one of the main priorities is to manage your blood sugar pretty tightly because blood sugar is a matter of life and death in your body. Too much of it or too little of it, meaning your blood sugar being too high or too low, can actually be life-threatening. And so when you have insulin resistance, your body will use as much insulin as needed to keep blood sugar stable even if it means having some residual insulin hanging out in your circulation afterwards, which is what this is. This is what insulin resistance is all about. That buildup of insulin over time, yes, it's going to keep your blood sugar stable, but it's going to also create very high levels of insulin that cause many of the metabolic and reproductive problems that we see with PCOS, including, of course, weight gain, belly fat, your insulin levels, when they're high, they're going to make sure that you hold on to weight, especially in the midsection. That's just how your body is programmed. It's also going to contribute to fatigue and cravings, missing periods, high androgen levels. All of these are driven by insulin resistance. So insulin does so much more than blood sugar regulation. It can actually contribute to a lot of the reproductive issues with PCOS. But the good news is that the best way to reverse insulin resistance is nutrition and lifestyle changes, things that you have pretty good control over. Let's not say 100% control over, but when we're talking about nutrition and lifestyle, we're talking about things like movement, sleep, stress, food intake, your mental health, things like smoking and alcohol intake, a lot of them you do have ultimate control over. The problem is that in our world today, and if you're on social media, I'm sure you see this all the time, because insulin resistance is linked with diabetes and blood sugar control, the conversation always revolves around carbohydrates. But there are actually many different ways to reverse insulin resistance that have nothing to do with carbohydrates. They're not carb-focused at all, and they're actually extremely effective. So we don't have to continue to talk about carbohydrates as the end-all be-all of reversing insulin resistance. And we want to venture out a little bit, broaden our horizons when it comes to managing insulin resistance and think about other things, because I don't know about you, but I love my carbs and I want to keep them. If you're the same way, we're going to talk about other things that you can do today that are totally carb-free. We're not talking about carbs in today's conversation. Now, before we go into some of those ways that you can manage insulin resistance effectively without thinking about carbohydrates as much, I think this is a good place to also talk about the difference between PCOS and diabetes. Just because we're on the topic 
I want to make a clear distinction between these two conditions. Oftentimes they get kind of jumbled up into one conversation or you may have been told by your doctor that you just need to follow a diabetic diet even though your blood sugar is perfectly normal, right? Like 10 minutes ago, they told you there's nothing wrong with you and everything looks good. And then when you're thinking about well, what can I do about it? And you ask a question about diet, they're saying just follow a keto diet or a diabetic diet or cut out all carbs, right? There's absolutely no congruency between those two things. But here's the thing. PCOS and diabetes are not the same thing. Yes, women with PCOS are at increased risk for diabetes. In fact, about 50% of women with PCOS will develop diabetes by age 40, which I think is very serious statistic that we have to pay attention to. But again, those two conditions work a little bit differently. With diabetes, and I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of this because I don't want to go off on a tangent today, but I do want to make this distinction. With diabetes, blood sugar is already elevated. And that increase is directly derived by intake of carbs, right? So when we eat carbohydrates, blood sugar is going to go up. If someone already has issues with blood sugar management, Oftentimes, reducing their carb intake or spreading it out over the course of the day in a certain way is the main way to bring those blood sugar levels down. Yes, there are other things, but if blood sugar, again, is already high, we do want to take a look at carbs. With PCOS, blood sugar is often normal. There's just too much insulin that your cells are resistant to. So there are many, many factors that we could be looking at other than carbohydrates to reduce the amount of insulin that is released. We don't really want to lower your blood sugar because your blood sugar, again, is not high to begin with. Yeah, we want to make sure that you're not creating these peaks and valleys and major fluctuations throughout the day. But overall, your blood sugar is likely in the normal ranges anyway. So we don't want to lower it further. What we do want to lower is your insulin levels. And we also want to help your body become more sensitized to the action of insulin. So why are we still talking mostly about carbohydrates when it comes to insulin resistance? I don't know. We're missing out on a lot of other habits that we could be focusing on in order to reverse insulin resistance. And I'm going to give you a little taste of what those are today. But also, I want to make sure that you're completing the quiz that I have. If you haven't already done so, the quiz is going to give you a lot more detail about how to reverse the drivers behind your specific PCOS symptoms. And that may very well be insulin resistance, but there are two other options in there, including inflammation and high androgen levels. And the quiz will walk you through what to do based on your results. So I want you to go to daphnachazen.com forward slash quiz. It takes less than five minutes. It's totally free. And you're going to get a lot of great suggestions and recommendations based on your quiz results of what's driving your PCOS symptoms right now so that you can start taking action. daphnachazen.com forward slash quiz. Go check it out when we're done with today's episode. Okay, stay right here. Don't go there now. daphnachazen.com forward slash quiz. All right, so let's touch on some daily habits that you can practice in order to reverse insulin resistance. We're going to touch on a few areas that make a big difference, and those are meal timing, your nutrition, movement, and supplements. Okay, I'm going to give you a few little tips under each one of these categories. And trust me, this is what I teach inside my programs, of course, in more detail with more guidance, examples, and coaching. But if you start right here with today's episode, the information that you're learning today, you're going to see incredible results. And so you don't have to practice everything I'll cover because it's going to be a lot to do. I want you to start with one or two things and just work on that week by week. Maybe you stick with one or two new habits 
for two weeks and then you build upon that. Okay. So don't overwhelm yourself. That's a surefire recipe to burn out and do nothing. Right. We don't want that. But take a couple notes, maybe as you're listening to today's episode, if you can, or think about as I'm talking, what are the habits that you want to start working with as soon as we're done here today? All right. So the first one we're talking about is meal timing. And I want to talk about breakfast because I always tell my clients, you want to start early and you want to prioritize protein. This is a golden rule of hormone balance for your entire day. And so you're going to want to start eating within about 60 to 90 minutes of waking up. Why? Well, a few reasons. This is what I want you to stay mindful of. In the morning, your cortisol levels are very sensitive, meaning if you're skipping breakfast, you're going to see an increase in cortisol and that's going to increase blood sugar levels. And when we increase blood sugar levels, we're also increasing insulin levels. And so we want to keep insulin levels at bay. And I don't want you skipping meals because at the end of the day, that's not conducive to reducing insulin levels. The other reason is that the morning is a really highly metabolically active time. Your body is primed and ready to use up insulin early in the morning. And it's most sensitive to insulin in those a.m. hours. Okay, so we want to take advantage of this very metabolically active time in your day and eat something so that your insulin levels can kind of do their thing and not continue to build up throughout the day. When you skip breakfast, we also know that more insulin is released after the first meal that you eat, which is usually lunch. So if you're doing intermittent fasting right now and you're not starting to eat until 1 or 2 p.m., please know that chances are your body is releasing way more insulin than it would have if you were to eat breakfast and then eat your same lunch at 1 or 2 p.m., okay? So the body almost overreacts a little bit when food finally gets into the system. And in the afternoon hours, that can definitely lead to energy crashes and a PM slump. And so we definitely want to start early. And after that, timing your meals about three to four hours apart is a pretty good way to go. The other part of breakfast is what you eat. You want to include a protein source. Why? Well, because it's going to help you feel more satiated. That means full so that you go longer feeling satisfied. And you're also ensuring that you don't need a second breakfast or that you arrive at lunch famished. Okay. Protein also helps build up your metabolism and keep your blood sugar more stable. Now, the reality is that the standard American breakfast doesn't really include enough protein. Okay. So when we're thinking about toast, pancakes, cereal, oatmeal, fruit, pastries, sugary coffee drinks, Yes, most of these things can be included and they can definitely be a part of a breakfast, but also we want that protein source in there. Things like Greek yogurt and cottage cheese and eggs and even unprocessed breakfast meat products can fit in here. I also think protein shakes are okay. They're not my favorite. I would much rather you eat a solid protein source as opposed to drinking it. That works better. It helps in produce a better feeling of fullness. But if you rely on protein shakes as part of your breakfast, I think that's not a bad way to go at all. The second thing that you're going to want to pay attention to as far as meal timing is syncing your meal schedule with your circadian rhythms. Okay, so your body's metabolism and hormones are very closely linked to your sleep and awake cycles, which are known as your circadian rhythms. 
This system impacts so much more than sleep, though. It also regulates weight. It regulates digestion, even hunger levels, your mood. So it's super important to pay close attention to your circadian rhythms. Now, what does this have to do with insulin resistance? Well, studies show that eating the vast majority of food when it's light outside, this is the time where your metabolism is most active, your body is primed and ready to receive that food, and tapering off the eating in the evening when it's dark outside can positively impact your insulin resistance as well as weight and cholesterol levels. And what do you know, we actually have science behind this specifically for PCOS. And that's a pretty rare thing because PCOS doesn't really get the amount of attention and funding that it deserves. But we do have a really great study that looked at timing of meals and the difference between women with PCOS who ate most of their food during the day versus those who ate a more traditional westernized kind of meal schedule where dinner is the biggest meal. So in this study, women with PCOS had a really large breakfast. They had a breakfast that contained a thousand calories, a lunch, I think that had around 600 calories, and then a small dinner of about two to 300 calories. Don't quote me on this. The breakfast was definitely a thousand calories. I can't remember the exact numbers for the other meals. But the idea is that the vast majority of the caloric intake for the day was taken during the two larger meals earlier in the day, breakfast and lunch. And again, this is in contrary, like in in opposition to what we usually see where most of us eat our largest meal when it's already dark outside in the evening. And a lot of people continue eating well into the night and very close up to their bedtime. And so what this study showed is that the women who ate a larger breakfast and tapered off their eating throughout the day had much better results as far as insulin resistance and their androgen levels and ovulation. And I'm going to read you a specific quote from the study, from the results section. Those in the big breakfast group experienced a 56% decrease in insulin resistance and a 50% decrease in testosterone levels. This reduction of insulin and testosterone levels led to a 50% rise in ovulation rate indicated by a rise in progesterone by the end of the study. I mean, 50%, that's a huge number. And that's really great data that shows us the timing of meal does matter, right? We used to think that it doesn't, but now we know that when we eat more in line with our sleep and awake cycles, we're eating more in line with our hormone activity. And that has a beneficial effect, specifically for someone like you, a woman with PCOS. And inside Reset Your PCOS, my coaching program, I teach women to identify a 12-hour time period where they're eating most of their food and, if possible, where they're swapping their dinner and lunch. Even if you do it twice a week or three times a week, that could still have a huge benefit on your hormones. And so your midday meal is going to be your largest meal of the day. Now, you don't have to make your breakfast a 1,000 calories. But again, thinking about making your breakfast and lunch a little bit more robust and tapering off eating as the sun sets throughout the day is going to help you eat more in sync with your circadian rhythms. And very importantly also is the time that you stop eating. So if we're looking at a 12-hour time period in your day, you start eating around 7 a.m., you wrap up dinner by 7 p.m., and you go to bed two to three hours after that, hopefully not much more than that, That's a pretty good schedule and it's really going to help your body get into a rhythm. And as a result of this, I could tell you that I've seen clients inside the program lose weight more easily, 
feel less hungry during the day, experience less cravings and fatigue, sleep better, and even have improved digestion. So a lot of these things are signs of improved metabolic function and less insulin resistance. So this stuff definitely works. Moving on to talking about nutrition, the first thing I want to talk about, and if you've been in any of my programs, you're probably going to chuckle because we talk about vegetables a lot. And what I always say is you want to be veggie forward, okay? A lot of what you eat in your day should be plant-based, vegetable-based. And if you do nothing else, I want you to start working on filling up half your plate with non-starchy vegetables. I find that most women do not meet the recommended amount of non-starchy veg in their day, and it's really impacting them, okay? So yes, we all include a vegetable with dinner. What about breakfast and lunch? And are those amounts really substantial? Probably not, okay? So from my experience, and I've been doing it for 12 years, I can tell you that most women don't meet the recommended amounts. And it's a shame because this can really help with insulin resistance. Well, how do veggies help with insulin resistance? A few different ways. The first one is nutrients. Vegetables are loaded with vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, phytochemicals. I mean, you probably already know this. A lot of them help sensitize your body to insulin. And a great example of this is magnesium. Magnesium is a mineral that's really important for insulin sensitivity. And you can get a good amount of magnesium from your diet, but you have to include a variety of plants. The other thing that adding veggies to your day helps with is fiber intake, okay? So when you're eating more fiber, you're gonna see a slower rise in your blood sugar throughout the day, thereby reducing the need for insulin, which is what we want, right? So we're not cutting carbs, we're not removing any favorite foods. I just want you supplementing whatever it is that you're eating with vegetables. And that could be cooked, that could be raw, they could be, a salad that could be a stir fry grilled. I don't really care. Just eat those veggies. And then the other thing is volumetrics. So by default, when you're adding vegetables to your day and to your meals, you're eating more volume of food and that's going to help keep you more full. It's going to prevent snacking and grazing throughout the day because you'll feel satiated for hours. And when you snack and graze less, you're also releasing less insulin between meals and that's going to help reduce insulin resistance. Another important nutrition strategy is to be choosy about fats. The type of fat that you eat matters as well as the amount. But for our purposes today, I want you to focus on the types of fats that you're eating. And I want you to make sure that you're adding plant-based fats to your meals and snacks every single day. So plant-based fats as well as fish oils, okay, so fatty fish, can really help reduce inflammation and that can help reverse insulin resistance. So we're talking about things like nuts, seeds, avocados, olive oil and olives, coconut, as well as fatty fish like salmon, trout, as well as tuna. Now, if you don't eat fish at home because your spouse can stand the smell of it or you don't know how to cook it, I would say that it's a good idea to invest a little bit and maybe buy pre-cooked fish from a grocery store, from the prepared food section. You can also rely on canned fish. Canned salmon is actually excellent. It's not fishy and it's less heavily contaminated than tuna. And so making the switch to canned salmon is a really great idea. And then when you eat out is a great opportunity to order fish. So at restaurants, I have many, many clients who eat fish, you know, once or twice a week if they go out. And that could be a good way to kind of 
keep the piece at home and make sure that you're getting it prepared by someone else. Now, I also have my meal prep bundle that has a bunch of fish recipes and it does have an insulin resistance meal plan. And so I just want to plug it in here in case you haven't seen it or haven't had a chance to download it yet. It is available for purchase and I want you to go check it out. I don't want to get into too much detail about what's included. I want you to go check it out. It's DaphnaChazen.com forward slash meal prep. But going back into how you can add plant-based fats into your day, this could be little things like replacing the oil that you use for cooking with extra virgin olive oil or avocado oil, adding nuts daily as a snack or including avocados in your salads or eating olives as a snack or throwing them in your food, right? So thinking about the types of fat that you're eating now and replacing them with plant-based sources of fat can really help reverse insulin resistance. It can also reduce inflammation, which are, of course, those two things are very much linked, okay? And that goes hand in hand with limiting processed foods that have a lot of saturated fats. If you tend to snack on crackers and cheese and you replace that with higher fiber crackers and avocado or snacking on olives and nuts, already you're making progress, right? This is a great way to swap the type of fat that you're eating and make it a little bit healthier and more insulin friendly, if you will. All right, we're switching gears and talking about movement. Movement can play a huge role in reversing insulin resistance because it's kind of like a wake-up call. Every time you get up and you start moving, your cells start to take up glucose with the help of insulin from your bloodstream. And so any type of movement that you can do in your day is going to sensitize your cells to insulin, and that's a really good thing. It reduces insulin resistance. And we don't have to look for the best workout for insulin resistance. We don't have to look for the best workout for PCOS. All I want you to do is to time your movement around your meals so that you're moving your body after you eat. That's going to ensure that that food is getting processed properly and that your body is not spiking too much in terms of your blood sugar as well as your insulin levels after your meals. And so it could be something as simple as walking outside at a good pace for 15 or 20 minutes. Or if you have more time, you can walk at an even slower pace for a bit longer, right? This is known as LIS, low intensity, steady state workouts, which is the opposite of heat workouts, which are high intensity interval training, where you do very intense movements for short periods of time. So when you're doing LIS, which is again, low intensity, steady state workouts, you're going to see better insulin sensitivity over time, okay? Your cells are going to get trained into taking up that blood sugar and processing it more healthfully. Now, resistance training has also been shown to be super effective to improve IR, insulin resistance, because it helps build muscle and muscle is very metabolically active. So if you enjoy weighted circuit training or using dumbbells or barbells or kettlebells, right? When you're using lower weights, higher reps, that's usually what I recommend. You don't have to lift very heavy things. You can lift three, five, eight pound weights and do a few reps, especially if you're doing things like deadlifts or squats. That's really good for insulin resistance, as well as things like that use your body weight. So TRX or Pilates, those are excellent ways to sensitize your body to insulin. Now, the benefits of weighted workouts 
and resistance training in general go well beyond insulin resistance because studies also show that they can lower testosterone levels. And if you're someone who's worried about bulking up and things like that, that's even more reason to go with lower weights and do more reps. Okay. So again, we don't have to press a hundred pounds or bench press a zillion pounds. That's not what we're here for. At least that's not what most of my clients are looking for. If you enjoy that and it works for your body, by all means do it. But what I'm saying is that those resistance training workouts can help lower your testosterone levels, can help increase metabolism again, because every time you're building muscle, you're increasing your metabolism. It reduces the risk of depression, right? We know that endorphins released through workouts can help boost your mood. It strengthens bones. And of course, as a bonus, it can also help with stress reduction, right? Again, those endorphins can help us feel better, less cortisol is being released, and that leads to better blood sugar control. So it's a win-win all around. Last but certainly not least are supplements. Supplements can really help give your body that extra push that it needs. If you're already doing everything that I mentioned, or maybe even other things as far as your nutrition, and you feel like you have the food part really dialed in, I do recommend looking at supplements and adding them. So as the name suggests, supplements supplement your nutrition, right? They're not meant to replace anything. They cannot kind of do the the work for you, but they can absolutely help continue to improve your insulin resistance and manage your blood sugar a lot better. Now, nothing I say today or even on social media or anywhere that you follow and consume my content is replacing medical advice. So please remember that this is very individualized. It can only be recommended by someone who knows you and your medical history. But I'm going to share with you three supplements that I use very frequently with my clients to help reverse insulin resistance. And in my program, Reset Your PCOS, I actually give you protocols as far as the supplements that you're going to want to take with dosages with my favorite brands based on your needs. So I have an insulin resistance protocol. I have an inflammation protocol, I have an androgen reduction protocol, I have a stress and anxiety reduction protocol, and those are all, of course, supplements that I recommend. I do want to say that I don't believe in taking a bunch of pills, so I rarely recommend more than two or three because I feel like you can absolutely get all of your needs met through nutrition, but with PCOS, there are certain you know, considerations that we want to take into account, and that's where supplements can help. And so the supplements that I usually recommend for insulin resistance are myo-inositol, berberine, and magnesium. All three of those are known to help reduce insulin resistance. Berberine specifically is known to work just as well as metformin, but cause way less side effects. So if you've ever taken metformin and it was harsh on your stomach, metformin is known to cause diarrhea and many women don't tolerate it. And so if you're one of those women who tried metformin in the past and you couldn't tolerate it, berberine is a great option for you. Berberine also helps reduce cholesterol. And so it's been used in Chinese medicine for 5,000 years. It's actually a very well-researched supplement. It's not one of those quack supplements that people, you know, put out because remember, supplements are not regulated by the FDA. So my nine-year-old can take pixie dust and put it in a bottle and sell it as a supplement, right? So it's not regulated. Anyone can make any claims on a bottle. And so you really need to be careful. But berberine, myo-inositol, and magnesium are all three very well-researched supplements and nutrients 
that we know help reduce insulin resistance and they're very well tolerated, which is important. So they don't cause many side effects or any at all. And so look into them. This is part of my protocol for reversing insulin resistance. This combination may not be needed in your case, but I do find that it produces really great results. And it's not only about insulin resistance. When we are looking at something like magnesium, it's good for a million things. It can help reduce blood pressure. It can improve sleep. It can reduce anxiety. And so there are many byproduct benefits, right? There are many side effects that are positive out of these supplements that many women with PCOS can really benefit from. We know that 40% of women with PCOS are actually magnesium deficient. And so this could be a great regimen for you. But again, consult someone who knows you, work with a professional that can recommend the specific supplements that would be correct for your body. This is by no means a replacement for that. And again, if you take the quiz, there's going to be more specific recommendations there based on what's driving your PCOS symptoms right now. So it's really customized to your needs. And I want you to go check it out. So again, that's DaphnaChazen.com forward slash quiz. You're going to get a very detailed result page based on the answers that you provide to the questions in the quiz. And I think that you're going to be able to really see a path to reversing insulin resistance or inflammation or high androgens, depending on what result you get. But the vast majority of women who take the quiz will receive insulin resistance as their PCOS driver because it's just so common. And so you're going to get a step-by-step roadmap to reversing it in the results pages. And I truly hope that you take three to five minutes to complete the quiz. I think you're going to like it. I want to thank you for spending some time with me today and listening to the episode. If you found it helpful, please share it and also take a few moments to leave me a review. I'd be really appreciative. And it's also going to help me get the podcast out to more women who need help on their healing journey. I'll see you here again next time. Bye. Bye.